need eyes to see. What are you talking about? I created the event horizon to reach the stars. But she's gone much, much farther than that. She tore a hole in our universe, a gateway to another dimension. A dimension of pure chaos. Pure evil. When she crossed over, she was just a ship. But when she came back, she was alive. Look at her, Miller. Isn't she beautiful? Your beautiful ship killed its crew, Doctor. Well... Now she has another crew. Now she has us. That the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. There's nothing to fear except God. Whatever that means to you. You're listening to a podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello, and welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week... And especially this year, we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. And typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, he was here a minute ago, but seemed to be muttering something in Latin and then slinked away. And uh, I actually took a year of Latin in high school, but it's been quite a while. So I my translation would probably be faulty. It's probably something like, you're awesome, Nathan, which is cool. Uh, in the meantime, allow me to welcome you listeners back into our big series for the year. What scares us slash what saves us a series defined by you. You've been submitting your stories of films and media that instilled or stoked a certain fearful imagining in you. And we have been covering those right here on the show today. Ladies and gentlemen, we have got a very special guest joining the crew. He'll be journeying with us to the event horizon for data and analysis. He claims it's all in the name of science. But either way, friends and foggers, welcome back to the bridge in space. No one can hear you, Steve Beckley. Welcome to the show, brother. Hello, Nathan. Welcome back. Happy to be here. Reed's not here yet, Steve. I don't know what you're referring to. Uh, While he's gone, though, (laughs) Steve, I got a question for you. Yes. You ready? Sure. Have you seen Ted Lasso? Sorry, haven't seen him. No, you need to get on that. You need to get on that because, uh, you know, it's it's good stuff. It's good stuff. But you know what? Well, we're going to make this uh, uh, a standard runtime episode so that you can get started on Ted Lasso. Uh, but I'm getting ahead of myself, as I'm prone, I'm prone to do quite often uh, here at the fear of God. We explore. We don't explain. 
Except for right now when I explain that you can listen to The Fear of God at your nearest podcast platform. You can watch The Fear of God on YouTube and you can browse The Fear of God on the web at thefearofgodpodcast.com where you will find Reed. <laughs> hey, buddy. There he is. E, e pluribus unum. unum. <laughs> hey, habeas corpus. <laughs> et tu brute. What? Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Just going down the list. <laughs> just, Reed, sure. in the last two minutes, you just Googled famous Latin phrases. I, I actually didn't, but those are the yeah, only yeah, ones yeah. that came to my mind. So I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. That's all right. A, that works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Reed. <laughs> Beckley's here. Hey, Steve. How's it going, man? Hi, it's good to see you. Glad Continuity guru himself. That's last, right. Uh, uh, editor's note, last scene on the uh, New Year's Eve episode featuring Invisible Man and a oh, bunch yeah. of friends. Indeed. Indeed. Um, Riri, we've got a movie to get to, but before we do that, do. we've got a show to get to, but before we get that, we've got some business to get to. Do we have any business that you want to talk A little bit of business. I don't have abnormal or unusual business. It's all the usuals. <laughs> join join the, you know, join the Facebook group. Join what the is your social business media number feeds. two? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, check out our ongoing blog series, Afterthoughts, which are releasing, Dude. you know, sometime the weekend Dude. after. Dave Courtney, like, oh, man. broke it down. See, here's the thing, man. Like, Dave brought the thunder because the man had, like. He brought the nothing. Yeah. But the something. <laughs> Well, yeah, no, it was it was not it was nothing. Lot. It was a lot. Uh. But what was gr- so great, if listeners have not gone to check that out, so the just you know, uh, and and future contributors to Afterthoughts feel no compulsion to meet Dave's gauntlet that he had thrown. But Becker's um, sweating. <laughs> he's like, oh man. <laughs> but he uh, he delivered this just really thoughtful and expansive kind of unpacking of both the history of the book and um, just all of the different implications and ramifications some of which we touched on in the episode some of which we hadn't yet gotten to um but it's a lovely piece and it's in uh four parts on the website so by all means go and check those out it's really really an impressive and and really thoughtful and wonderful piece thank you dave for that indeed so yes check out the afterthoughts uh business time come join the facebook group lots of fun happens in the facebook group conversations that end jokes that make it on on air uh, I'm glad that today's Toronto. content is not based on a book. Yes, indeed. Because <laughs> indeed. I didn't read the book. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we, we didn't either. I mean, or play the game. Reed would have. Um, right. I, I would have. <laughs> <laughs> Reed is Reed. Let's say he would have. Um, but, all right. So that's enough of the business time. All right. Gentlemen. <clears throat> it's now time to go to the continent where Geralt of Rivia has misadventures and his other co-star characters Yennefer of Vandabargar and Cyrilla of Sentra don't say hey Siri to her at least not these days your devices <laughs> are our star and time tossed trio of characters that I imagine will converge at some point but I just don't know this is my Henry Cavill Witcher voice. Yes, it's time to go to episode three and four of The Witcher. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer of Vanderberg sounds like a Swedish uh-huh. chef character. It does. It does. Like, it yeah. does. And you know what? I was I was writing down her name and it auto-corrected to Jennifer and it was like, mm. of course, because, you know. Of course it is. Like, yes. Right. That's what it is. This is the early. Yes. Jennifer of Vanderberg. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard of Vandenberg. He put the cheeky in the little stew. 
<laughs> Unifer. <laughs> I mean, that one feels like you just put syllables in a bag and pulled them out. <laughs> Vandaburger. <laughs> sure. Yeah, of course. Would you like some cheese on your Vandaburg? Oh my mm? gosh. All, all, right, of our, so, all of our Polish constituency are like, Nathan and Reed. Yeah, we lost uh, the one. Um, <laughs> Beckley. Beckley. So we this is we're getting to episodes three and four now. Uh, had you, you, you did us the favor of uh, kind of partnering in this material. Good, good on you. You're, you're a good friend. Uh, and media consumer. Um, what was your familiarity with this series before these four episodes? Pretty Anything. much zero. Pretty much nothing. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I knew it was on Netflix, but I, I knew it was based on a video game. But before I watched the first episode, I didn't know anything beyond that. I figured out a little later that the video game was based on a book from Poland. Right. But, uh, yeah. I didn't know that before I started. Do I? Do any of the three of us know? Like, do the. <laughs> Here he comes. No, no, we don't. No. We don't. <laughs> it's like, why even ask, Nathan? <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. No, uh, the thought that came to me is like, how many games are there? Do the games, uh, does, the, does the TV series track the narrative of the games? No. Who knows? We need... Haven't we need a witcher that, no. expert yeah 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 Do, yeah i haven't either it's just more fun it's just more fun to be like what is happening on this show did you know that steve that the character's stories were taking place in alternate timelines or in I, I figured that out when reed said it last week yeah yeah <laughs> right <laughs> well and your first clue to that would be in episode four, right? Of like you know, like that's really the first time. Really? If you if if you had not known that by like extracurricular information, which is how I found it out, your first clue to that would be in episode four when Geralt shows up okay. with characters we've already seen die at, the banquet. at right. the banquet, and then you know they're they're all showing up, and and the queen Calanthe. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, of I'm, I'm good. This I'm good this week. You're like, all right, I all got right. him. But yeah, that that would be your first clue. Yeah. yeah. Now let's. Okay. Well, that's helpful. So read, speak broadly. Uh, so th- these today we're talking about episode three, Betrayer Moon, episode sure. four of Banquets, Bastards, and Burials. Um, and did you, you know, we 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 got to share last week about our kind of maybe neutral takes on episodes one and two how do you feel after these two are you know, same so, kind of gear what, what's your no, general thoughts super funny that you should ask that because from so episode three really energized me quite a bit and most of it revolved around the things that they did with Geralt which we can get into in some more specifics uh, in just a little bit but no three and four uh in in stark contrast to my somewhat stunned and confused and befuddled experience of episodes one and two three and four really have me like i'm 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 kind of in on the show now because they well first of all it's a little bit more um streamlined a little bit i think the uh picking up the plot specifically in episode three picking up the plot with yennefer so being able to sort of thread something through and um being able to thread something through that is a direct continuation because even the Geralt plot lines have been, okay, that was the monster that week. This is the monster this week. And then in episode three, we get that again. I'll come back to that one. But I That's think the Striga, the princess, the Striga. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 But, um, Striga. carrying a <laughs> Striga. So, um, carrying over what was happening with Yennefer's plot line, I think, uh, anchored me 
a bit more. And even though there's some elements of particularly the ending of her story, which, you know, that that whole sequence of her transformation is really uncomfortable to to sit through. Uh, but I think it has a really nice payoff. The stuff with Geralt and actually like fighting to uncover this mystery of the of the Striga and then changing from just being a, a slaughter machine to actually trying to rescue this creature and save this creature um, just really pivoted me around a little bit in a way that that I think put me on board more for the show. That was also carried over into what they dealt with in episode four, um, where all of the Geralt stuff in episode four, I was I was super energized by because, again, we're seeing characters we've already seen before they're coming back in different contexts some things are starting to solidify so yeah i'm i'm in on it my it it pivoted from curiosity and homework to i was actively engaged with the majority of three and four as as plot lines as episodes as you know constructed hours of entertainment i'm i'm in i'm in on it yeah i think i i liked four uh how do i say this so uh, three had, as you alluded to, the kind of key scene of Yennefer's transformation. The Yennefer story in four was the first time I really felt like, oh, this is cool. The mm. the the portal chase, oh, um, the portal chase stuff the, was the great. Ant monster thing, yeah. like that Psycho, is very Psycho cool. Jiminy Cricket, yeah, no, it's absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. like, yeah, it was really, um, and gets us an opportunity to explore kind of like what she brings to bear in terms of her power structure and, and how she, yeah, she, it, well, it, I feel like you, the way you just said that make, makes me want to introduce two notes here. And, and, uh, because we still got six episodes left, but most of the rest, I imagine will be some version of plot and, and four we're episodes left. Talking but about. Yes. We've got four episodes. Oh, there's, yeah, there's eight total. There's, okay. there's only eight. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, six, eight, ten, Vandenberg, you know, if it, whatever. If it ain't um, the names that'll get you, the math <laughs> will. So, like, <laughs> yes, exactly. And you, you, good segue, Reed. Thank you. Way to, way to team me up. So, two sort of complaints I have about the series overall that have one that has sort of ironed itself out, though still could have been a thing but the second one that's still kind of quibble with so one is and 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 steve this is maybe fresh for you too so feel free to jump in so i went today to read the wikipedia page to kind of refresh myself because you know listeners may know this we record two episodes at a time so i've watched four episodes of the witcher and so i was just trying to reframe okay what is happening in these episodes and i would encourage anyone to go do that because if, if you're following along the show, um, because, um, something the show doesn't do, uh, in, in technical form is, is give any bearing for chronology and the Wikipedia gives years like, like, you know, for our 2021, whatever theirs is, it's like 1200 X, you know, 12, this 12, that just noticing that I'm looking at it right now. And uh, yeah. And, (laughs) and I think what I'm trying to get to here is, the amount of help that provided mm-hmm. to orient myself in the narrative that I think, I don't know. I think I wish the show had front loaded because you can still do, okay, these are taking place across different timelines, but, but tell me that because I feel like I spent so much time, those first two episodes in utter confusion 
as to mm-hmm. kind of what is happening and, and and their relationships to each other, that knowing that would have really helped ground me in what I'm watching. Mm-hmm. Um, because ultimately it is very cool when you get to the banquet and yeah. um, Geralt encounters Calanthe and clearly we're now in the past of Siri who is not yet born her, their intersection becomes clear in that episode. So that's pretty cool. Uh, even with something as silly as something called the law of surprise, whatever. But I just, part of me really in reading the Wikipedia, I was like, I wish they had just done this because it mm. would have, it would have unburdened some of that major confusion. Do you, do you, do either of you echo that or, or share that thought? Uh, I totally, I totally agree. I would completely echo, uh, not to just like tramp all over your opportunity, Steve, but like, uh, but I think Welcome like, back, Steve. even just, <laughs> <laughs> even just even just like hold like holding up the years beforehand might have helped with that now to that end if you hadn't figured out if you as the viewer hadn't figured out by episode 4 that things are time jumping episode 4 would have firmly solidified it for you but i do think those first 3 would have been less work and less confusion right. to simply you know identify yes this is the sort of the timetable that we're playing with. And I don't know, I I go a bit back and forth on it because plenty of other outlets move around through time and play around through time, be they a movie, be they, uh, you know, a a book, be they a TV series. Um, But I think most of the time when a medium plays around in time, there is usually another element of its structure that is linear for instance um tarantino with pulp fiction going back like you know to, gosh 20 years now at this point uh um, 94 20, so 25 yeah 26 years. years yeah almost 27 20, yeah um but uh so going back to quentin tarantino yes that story is told non-linearly and jumps around in time but it does so to fulfill an emotional arc and so one of the things that's difficult to ascertain at this point in the show, we're midway through the show, watched four episodes. And at this point, I do think that like I can't quite grasp the emotional arc they're aiming for that would justify telling this story unbridled from time. So, so put in uh, slightly simpler terms, maybe by the end of episode eight, I'll look back on the rest of the show and say, oh, cool, this is why they introduced this piece here and this piece here and this piece here. But moving through the episodes singularly, I don't quite have that cohesion yet of the emotional sort of grounding. And and I'm not even arguing that I wish they hadn't done the time jumping. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying I kind of wish I had known and understood that because I'll, I'll... join with you not with the pulp fiction example but to me it's not about something else needs to be linear it's about um yeah i'm gonna do it lost okay (laughs) lost ends up time jumping but one it's a very dramatic payoff when it happens and two lost more or less is rooted in a naturalistic setting that i understand Mm. the problem doing it here is i don't understand anything and now on top of that Meaning, I just mean like it's a fan, it's a fantastical world that right. the rules I'm trying to figure out 
that are being kind of shadowed from me. Oh, by the way, it's also unstructured time wise. Like it's just a lot. It's a lot to kind of foist from an accessibility standpoint. And I would think, you know, call me crazy, but I would think if you're trying to garner fresh fans to the property, accessibility is what you need and what you want is just like, and you can't hang it all on Cavill who has some very broad, strong shoulders, <laughs> but that's a lot of weight to carry for one man. <laughs> no, indeed. No, you need a calibration point. You need some, something to sort of, and that is the argument. I mentioned this in last week's conversation about it. That's the argument of, are you trying to appeal to the broadest base possible or are you trying to get it right for the people who would buy in on this and say, wow, they really captured the spirit of it. And to be honest, I don't, I don't know at this point because I have not read the books and have not played the video games. So I don't know. Um, you ain't they- fat. You ain't fat. <laughs> you're nothing. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm- like you're not a fan. You're not a fan. The joke oh, I'm going for. Right? Got, <laughs> like, got it. Got it. I'm like, this oh, ain't oh, for yeah. you. This is, t- <laughs> <laughs> this is for us. Right. <laughs> no, no, that's true. I'm trying the uh, benefit of the doubt so far. Exactly. That's true. What are that what are some note what are some notes Steve that you would have from at least episodes 3 and 4 that that you know, they can be broad, yeah. they can be specific. Well, truthfully, I haven't gotten all the way through episode 4 yet. I've gotten to the part mm. where Hey, uh, unplug him, Reed. Unplug him. Was <laughs> <laughs> supposed to say that? <laughs> no, no. I am I'm You kidding, are always I'm welcome here. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I I kind of get the gist of it. I know where it's hid. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I I just love that, you know, he had a great uh, film about a year ago. It was a surprise hit. It it had a lot of um, naysayers going into it based on his, uh, the CGI design of him. I'm glad to see Sonic the Hedgehog get another, (laughs) some more screen time in episode (laughs) four as, as Dooney, the, do neither whatever he is <laughs> like <laughs> what oh yeah so let's get back to my number two here which is <laughs> yep ah, y'all made the joke for me um <laughs> is everybody can do anything i'm just really oh. like when <laughs> i'm unstuck in time and it's one thing for the witcher the titular character to have some sort of undefined power set which you know i guess is like a hand it's like the force um <laughs> But kind of a lot of other characters can do random stuff, too. I'm like, (laughs) okay. And every type of critter and creature and monster populates this world. Okay. You know, I guess that's that's what's on the continent. Here's the the thing. I'm not so. So I'm in this weird place when I hear you say that because I don't disagree with you because I don't understand the rules of navigation. At the same time, that's kind of how magical fantasy works. There are oh, creatures who can do X. I hear there are that. creatures who can do Y. There are right. cre- and and the creatures are all populated, you know, in in wide array. And so it's like, yeah, it's that's why I say sincerely that I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm kind of with that. And the reason I'm with it is because emotionally I'm having the same experience. I don't understand the structure around right. who can do what. That having been said, though, I can't really fault the show for that, except to say that they did not you know, define that for me yet. And maybe that's something that I'm just meant to accept and roll with, or is it something that's going to be a little bit more constructed 
in the later parts of the show. I don't, you know, th- that's the part that I don't know at this point. I could only speak to the fact that, yeah, at this point in time, I don't know who can do what, why they can do it, or how they got they to be can do what they're magic. It's just, it's just magic. I kind of like it's how just, you learn a little bit every episode. You know, they mm-hmm. don't give it to you all at once. Uh, you're kind of yeah. like a, a fly on the wall in this universe. And right. I like, I like the portals. Everyone loves a show with portals. <laughs> <laughs> portals uh, you know what? Best. They don't make any more shows with portals. Yeah. <laughs> I'm it's glad like to see this ring only without. Yeah, you go. That's right. One. That's it. Mr. Doctor. Um, <laughs> No, and and so it's clear. I'm, I'm being. Um, um, I don't actually don't mean to come off critical. I'm saying I'm kind of actually more on board after these two than I was the first yes. two. Yeah. If these two things had some clearer definition, I think I'd really be bought in. Right mm-hmm. now, you're relying you the the show, not you, Stephen Reed, are, are relying on my affection for Henry Cavill. And my appreciation for seeing monsters right. at, of doing the heavy lifting for you, which they kind of do. But yeah, sure. um, some of those other things would be like, okay, man, if you just sort of tweak this, you know, maybe, <laughs> I don't know, whatever, whatever. I got to say, just, a, yeah, say just, to re- just to reiterate for myself, about, about 10 minutes into the Geralt plot line with the Striga in episode three, I actively felt myself fully engaged and like i want to find out what happens here i'm bought in on the character i like that and and that carried over into the Geralt plot line in the banquet in episode four it's got right. a good blend of humor there's some good sort of thrills to that like the whole moment you you joked about sonic the hedgehog which yes that was that's funny but mm-hmm. like the moment when Geralt's like steps in yeah. And finally yeah. decides to stay to save him. That's a really energizing moment. That's a that's a moment where, uh, you know, like, and then that whole fight it becomes the big fray against sure. you know them against all the rest of the knights, and then you know the 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 husband to the queen joins into the fight and everything, and so it's like all of that was very energizing entertainment. And at a certain point, this may come off like a backhanded compliment. I don't intend it to be. At a certain point, I stopped caring about what I didn't understand, and I was enjoying what they were doing. And that was very specific to kind of these couple of episodes. And the and I had enough to anchor myself into what was happening in the scene to be actively entertained. And though I was still quite confused about the broader ramifications of sure, things, sure. at a certain point, I didn't care anymore because I, I enjoyed what they were giving me. Yeah, and I do think the banquet... So, so my big... I don't exactly... I didn't share in your sort of investment or buy in with the Striga plot line, though mm. I thought, I mean, I will never fault the show. It, it nails the monster stuff. Like it looks great. That the production design, design is great. Is the creature cool. design is great. All of yeah. that's really strong. Um, and the general, as you described, kind of boorish humor attached to just Geralt, the character uh, right. works. Um, the things that turn the corner for me, even though, yeah, silly things like the, the Sonic bit and, and the law of surprise, which, I, I just wish they'd come up with a better name, but I like the concept. I liked the convergence that happens there. And it's like, Oh, okay. This is kind of cool. This right. totally, this, this does re- even though it doesn't propel me to want to go sit and watch it, it recontextualizes those first couple episodes to, sure. to get you there. And the sling ring with the ant monster. So yeah, <laughs> that was no, that's all awesome. Um, before we kind of wind it down, Steve, did you have anything else to add or, or, or are we good? Uh-huh. We, I mentioned uh, Doctor Strange, you know, a trivial bit. 
Uh, yeah. You know the character yep. Stregobor, who's the mage in the town of yeah. Levikin? That's Do we that's, ever. He's that's played, right. He's played by Lars Mikkelsen, the brother of Matt huh. Mikkelsen. What? What? Doctor Strange. Yeah. Yay! Um, that's cool. Who's, that... Whose film, Another Round, just won uh, Best International Film at it the did. Oscars. It did. It did. It's a pretty good movie. I liked it. Yeah. I didn't see yeah. that one. I, did. uh, yeah, I guess good. I didn't recognize Lars Mikkelsen right away because of his big beard in this show. Ah, nice. I like old Mads. Stregobor. Very well done. <clears throat> That's been another foray into the continent of the land and world of the Witcher, where sling rings, ant monsters, and anthropomorphic hedgehogs all live in harmony or not in harmony, depending on the episode. Tune in next week for episodes five and six, where more might be revealed. But there will definitely be monsters and probably naked people. Until then, this has been TV Guidepost. Hookie dookie Guidepost. We're already in the Brenda Brenda Burger. Oh, man. Reed, why don't you bring us into the old dock? Why don't you dock us here? Yeah, to the outer reaches of space, infinite space and infinite terror. Well, I'm actually going to pivot in just a second because yes we have um you know another installment for our main content of uh this ongoing series of what scares us and um beckley had reached out to us i'm sorry I call you beckley you're my friend steve now at this point but um had reached out to us and had submitted among a few options of things to choose from one of the the options on the table was the 1997 uh just absolutely extreme cosmic horror sci-fi thriller event horizon so um in a moment uh, in a brief moment i'm gonna pivot over to you steve to go ahead and 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 sort of invite us into what your thoughts are on this and why this was one of your selections for what scares us um and uh and 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 actually yeah if if you're prepared to speak to that i'm gonna go ahead and give you the floor to just sort of why are why are we talking about this movie today what's the point what is the point (laughs) yeah uh, yeah, I gave you a lot of options in the message I sent. Uh, it wasn't just on uh, Event Horizon or uh, right. or even uh, Space Horror, but that was one of the things. Yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I think I explained even the first time I was on on the Donnie Darko episode that uh, science fiction was one of the things that led me to the horror genre originally. It was mm-hmm. one of my gateways in, um, and in particular, one of the subgenres that kind of resonates with me is the... Uh, the uh, uh, space science fiction, science fiction that takes place on yep. uh, sea fo- or not sea faring, space foreign craft and uh, <laughs> uh, space stations or other planets. And uh, of course, uh, there was or has already been an episode on Alien, uh, and mm-hmm. then we did uh, Alien Covenant. But all, all the uh, entries in that series, uh, I, I kind of enjoy. Um, but yeah, one that one that really comes to mind uh, when we talk about uh, ones that I was watching in my youth uh, is Event Horizon. And uh, Event Horizon is from 1997, so I was, uh, I believe, I was in my junior year of college at the time. Oh wow! Uh, got a couple of years older than you guys. Um, <laughs> I was a RA in a resident hall of, of uh, freshmen, and I remember uh, one night. Uh, Event Horizon did uh, not too well in the theater, but it kind of had a, a lot more business when it came out on VHS. Um, yes, it did. So I, I guess remembering back, uh, we went to. Uh, to a blockbuster, so it was really this is like kind of the heyday of the blockbuster blockbuster era. 
um, mm. 97 or 98. Um, so brought Vent Horizon back to the dorm, uh, dim the lights, <laughs> and uh, and I, I remember us being pretty Man, uh, pretty. That spe- sounds amazing. Just you saying that, like <laughs> that's right. Go to the uh, movie store, rent the VHS, come back to the dorm, lights out, scary, yeah, crazy, a, scary horror. A group of guys, uh, myself, a junior, and a couple of uh, group of freshmen, and uh, <laughs> put it on. I don't. I think we were pretty speechless through it. We didn't really know what to expect uh, since it wasn't a very yeah. big popular movie. The old RA corrupting the freshmen <laughs> with. <laughs> 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 No, mom, it'll be fine. The RA is showing great. it to us. Yeah, College it's going to be great. a place of mind expanding, you know, education. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's well. You mentioned you mentioned just a second ago that like, and and I was thinking this when when this was, and I you know full peek behind the curtain. One of the reasons that I zoned in on the fact that, and and you know, kind of pitched like, hey, we should we should of the selections that you had provided. I really wanted to take the chance to talk about Event Horizon. One of it is I'm in the same boat you are about I love, can't even quite articulate what I love about it, but I love deep space, spacecraft, cosmic horror types. I just, I love that. Whether it is, you know, of the variety like this, where it's like interdimensional chaos, where it is uh, like of the monster in the catacombs variety, like Alien, um, or where it's sometimes even a bit a bit more cerebral and psychological, like uh, like the Sam Rockwell uh, starring Moon, Moon, you know, yeah. or something like that. Which is you know, but anything that takes place like just in a sort of a spacecraft, they're they're out sort of on their own, and they have to navigate and survive whatever perils, you know, may await them. I get really energized by stories like that, again, for reasons I can't quite understand. Um, and we've so been, we've been itching to cover Sunshine for years. I really I know, yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 I want to. Let's do I it. Think I've, yeah, I think I've affirmed every single time. I've been like, yes. We'll just tack that on sun, to the end of this. Sun, yeah. Sunshine's good. Yeah, yeah there, me, there's a sequence in Sunshine that's very similar to Event Horizon, uh, where they venture on to another craft and where it's all spooky and derelict. Uh, that's right. I mean, that's like a subgenre of space yeah. horror is like derelict spacecraft exploration. Um, no, absolutely. There's even absolutely. episodes of certain sci-fi TV series where they do that. And yeah. I'm thinking there, there's an episode of uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine mm-hmm. uh, where they explore like the twin space station of, of DS9, Empak Noor. Yeah. You know oh, okay. man, yeah, you're speaking man, Reed's language. My man dropping some <laughs> then, Space Nine knowledge. That's and awesome. Then the third episode of the first season of Star Trek Discovery, where they they go mm. to uh they go on to the, the spacecraft that had a, a malfunction or something went wrong with their, their spore drive. Do you remember that, Reed? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone this is why Beckley out. is the continuity guru. The, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what the yeah, and the that led to the whole plot line with the tardigrades and yep. all of that other kind of yeah. Oh, and man. then that's <laughs> connected back to uh, Event Horizon because it shares one of the cast members. Uh, that's exactly yeah. right. Jason, Jason Isaacs. Yeah. That's right. Oh my man. See you you are absolutely speaking my language right now. That is so awesome. That's so, Nathan, do you go get a drink? Wah, so, uh, wah. but um but yeah and and so when i first saw i I gotta confess that when i first saw event horizon because i also watched it like um probably around either like early college days or like depending on the time frame when it hit video release it might have been like my my senior year of high school or, or freshman year of college but the um first time i watched it i can remember thinking and this was the weirdest experience to have but i can remember thinking 
oh, that was okay, but it reminded me a lot of Hellraiser, and I like Hellraiser more. I can remember actually thinking that when I watched the movie, and then... I, I, as, picture, I picture this, like, you know, think like Young Sheldon series featuring <laughs> a lackey who's just... But it's, you know, you're a bright individual, for, to be sure, Reed, but it's just about your misadventures as a youth watching all of these horror movies <laughs> and trying to plug in in social settings, but referencing, you know, in yeah. Horizon, it's really effed up and dark, but it's no Hellraiser, and all the peers are just like, whoa. <laughs> is, 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 is that how I sounded? No, I'm con- saying Young Lackey. That, that's oh, that's yeah. not young you lackey. right now. Now, okay. like old lackey is it's you you know people can it's, people can hear that one i'm just conjuring young young lackey <laughs> i appreciate this same part of the conversation same so hat. much same it's so great. yeah no it's true it's true do go do go on no so <laughs> no but so so because there's some well here's why that ties back into something that i did find interesting in my research for this episode is i guess um there was a little bit of consultation done with Clive Barker on some material for for Event Horizon. So, like, the Hellraiser connection was a little bit more obvious than I thought it was. Um, and so, but over time, a, a strange sort of affection has built in me for this movie that I'm still, and, and I, I feel like I'm saying this more and more. I said it on RoboCop. I said it on a couple of other things recently where it's just like there has been something in the last maybe five to ten years that for a few of these horror films that I perhaps remembered either fondly or somewhat passively when I first saw them, my affection for what they're exploring has risen quite a bit to the degree that I would say like, yes, I'm... I, I, even in this movie, and while I was watching it, I was like, "There are places this is not a great movie, but dang, I love it!" Like there, there are like shots, and even the opening credits shots seem so like yeah. first Long. year grad student, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, like <laughs> of, of the thing. And so I'm like, "Oh, geez, this is really like cheesy looking." What what version of the, of the movie or what uh, what Uh-oh. medium did you guys watch it on? Oh, so. Uh, so I own the movie on DVD. So basically, mm-hmm. so basically, that's the version that, the I, that I watch. The, uh, uh, no, not the recent one. Because did you get the the recent one that yep. Scream Factory put out? That's the one oh, on my man, shelf I'm behind so, me there. Yeah, I'm so curious. <laughs> I'm so curious, like how that was compared to. Hold like, it up, Steve. I want to see it. <laughs> Can you reach it? Well, did you the glared? You know, whatever. Come on, okay. <laughs> He's gonna. There he goes. Me. There you go. This is for all See, the. I the, love this. I love viewers this cover at home. Art. No, that I love that cool. cover art. Um, and at the slipcase, this is the. Uh, See that the classic cover is yeah. behind yeah. the slipcase. Yeah, 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 yeah. Beckley, you're more professional at this it's than the we are. Shout factory where you can actually open it up and, and flip it. <laughs> yeah, because they have the thing inside where it's the reversible cover. Where, yep. Yeah, I I love those editions for that reason. I've been eyeballing that edition for a while. Haven't haven't purchased it yet. Um, but now here's what was curious about that because you talk about like editions and versions and stuff. So there was a long history around, and I'll try to make it as you know, like in in the minute and a half version. But there was a long history about the production because the production was scheduled, budgeted, underway, but then. James Cameron's Titanic, which was also with Paramount, was going to be delayed. So what they did was they knew this is going to be the Cameron vehicle, so we're going to push the we're going to push Titanic out so Cameron can do his thing. And then what we're going to do is 
Event Horizon then needs to move up in the schedule. So they just like dropped into the man's lap. Okay, you need to have this movie ready for us. I think like two or three months ahead of what we said. And he's like, well, I, like I've got to rush through a cut. Yeah. I mean, we've got to. And he's like, this Titanic. That's not going to be a thing. Nobody's so, going to go see that. That might be a reason why the credits look cheap is because they had to rush into a. <laughs> it's you know, yeah. it's funny. Yes, that's no, that's, that's very astute. And so then. Um, he released a cut that was like two hours and ten minutes long and obs- apparently obscenely violent, like mm. incredibly. And this movie's already <laughs> extremely violent, but apparently that whole sequence of like the transmission from the event horizon was even more graphic, even longer, even more extreme. Um, and that like they even brought in this sounds a bit twisted, but they even brought in actual real life amputees to try to ramp up the horror that they even brought in um uh like active uh members of the porn industry to make some of the like the sexual encounters seem a little bit more authentic and that that whole thing was expanded more and that all made it into this big like 2 hour and 10 minute cut well audiences were having none of it and that was like the first time that the studio execs had seen the same thing it tested terribly, and the studio execs literally came to Paul W.S. Anderson and said, okay, now you've got to cut like 30 minutes of your movie. Like, mm-hmm. tone down the violence, cut 30 minutes down. And so he had to gut it down to like the, the 95 minutes that it is, which was too slim. And people have been clamoring ever since for like, oh, what's that longer director's cut? Like, give us, give us that version of this film because we're so curious about it. Because in addition to all of the perhaps more extreme gore and stuff, it also had active scenes of character development and relationships and a little bit more substantiation to some of the sort of weird turns that the film takes in its third act. And what, what I found really interesting that the director has said, and unfortunately so much of this footage is just lost to time. He said it you know, multiple, multiple times where he's like, listen, guys, we have scoured the globe. We cannot find this footage. A director's cut is not going to happen for this movie. But he said, what ideally would be great is not the two hour and 10 minute cut, which is too long, too plotting and probably too violent. But what would be great is if I could have a chance to add maybe 10 to 15 more minutes to the movie that we've got. And if we had, you know, a nice like hour 45 or maybe even, you know, hour 50, I would be able to substantiate the character stuff, and that might be the vision that we were really going for. And there is a part of me that like, sort of grieves that, that we're never going to get to see that version of it because I think there's tremendous amount of potential in this film that we've got, and so much of it does feel like it's rushed through, like it's chopped through. Um, and I think one of the reasons why it's, and this will be my last sort of statement, pivot to something else, but I think one of the reasons why it's gained the cult status that it has is because there are some really interesting things going on in it, and there's some really savvy production design, there's some decent performances, there's a lot of good about this film, and it does feel like it just isn't quite fully formed, and that if it had a chance for, you know, for a, a, a bit more of that complete vision that it might just be a runaway you know icon in the genre but that's just that you know that's meanwhile my... i'm like an hour and a half sign me <laughs> up <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah nathan what was your what was your yeah oh, your, well i'm about to drop my bona fides up in here because yeah, Be- beckley's like i saw this when i rented it from blockbuster reads like <laughs> i rented this on vhs nathan's like i saw it in the theater in 1997 yeah <laughs> who's the real theory? horror fan yeah story <laughs> <laughs> um there's not really a story other than just i was like oh my god <laughs> what have <laughs> i gotten myself into <laughs> Nothing to stop your uh 
the mummy 1999 story, right? Oh, yeah. When I had my foot barfed on by <laughs> a, another patron in front of me and didn't really as, realize what had happened. I was in flip flops. Yeah. Good story, Beckley. Um, but <laughs> this one I wanted to throw up. It, it fits in with Event Horizon yes, pretty It does. Well. It does. I, no, but I do. I, I don't know. You know, I've always just been game to watch movies and genre movies in particular. So I, I, I don't even remember why. This one may have hit the radar, but I was not prepared for what it is and and mm. do have a memory of getting to the end and be like, whoo boy, that was <laughs> a ride <laughs> on the Lewis and Clark. Oh, my Man. Um, Did you guys hear the news that there might be a, uh, a new TV series? I, th- I did yes, see that. Yeah. With Adam Wingard, of yeah. all people. Yeah, but they haven't released like any sort of details about production date, if it has fully been greenlit or something. They're just sort of, it's sort of in the development People are still speculating whether it's going to be like a sequel or a remake. Or... Yeah. Adam Wingard is like getting his niche in, I'm going to take sort of, uh, you know, uh, icon archived properties and try to reinvigorate them. Blair Witch, yeah. he's done, you know, Godzilla versus Kong. So anyway, yeah, let, go ahead. Let me, let me ask you all a question. And, and I want us to get to our, our, our that ain't right here in a minute, but Mm. Kind of before we wade, uh, uh, you know, too far into the uh, gateway. Um, so y'all have talked about your affection for the space genre and nerded out on some STDS9. Um, mm. So these days in the real world, you've got your, you know, your doofuses like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos <laughs> privatizing the space race and ignoring, you know, the easily answerable question of whether those funds should actually be spent to better the planet earth but you know <laughs> what, what are you gonna do uh, it's more fun to Why go to mars <laughs> so <laughs> i'm gonna insert a really funny story here i was walking with my four-year-old today and uh, the planet earth made me think of this and she has a former babysitter that she doesn't get to see much and she was lamenting to me out loud she was like i, w- I want to see her this babysitter and she said where does she live? And I was like, oh, you know, she doesn't know her cardinal directions, much less street names, really. And I was like, well, you know, it's about five minutes away. And she's like, well, I know she's on the earth, but where, where is her house? And I was like, yes, yes, my child, she is on the earth. Um, but speaking of not the earth, my question for you guys is if, if, if Elon Musk or Mr. Amazon himself were to give you the Willy Wonka ticket to go to space, like, does that, hold any appeal to you is mm-hmm. that a thing really oh man that's interesting yeah we've oh, never actually hardcore. had this conversation of like would you go to space man like well so uh, uh i don't know that i would have the constitution for it like i would get oh, nauseous we, we as know your crap. story of just driving to the airport uh <laughs> thanks thanks for that why is vomit showing up so much in have you seen this the movie? conversation? Have you seen yeah, the movie? <laughs> fair, fair question. Fair, fair point. Um, but no, like, like it gets, and it goes back to, it, it goes back to like my young days of loving science fiction and and uh, all of Ray Bradbury mm, and mm-hmm. you know all of this stuff. Like, no, like, like if it was, I don't think I'm the pioneer. And I mean, at forty years old, it's just not going to happen. But if there was an opportunity to be like, hey, we have this completely sustainable, safe opportunity for you to set foot on the moon, y- yes, I would. I mean, yeah, I, hmm. I am, I am very much like into the space thing and the stars. And while, so what's interesting is, and not to pivot us into like a, a heavy, serious direction, no, right? I mean, away, but this like, is why I am, we do this. 
I am on board for the conversation, 100% on board for the conversation about environmental protection and making sure that our planet Earth, that we are safeguarders and caretakers of that space and that we should be much more conscientious in taking care of that. But that's it. At, no, 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 no. <laughs> I burn it all down to go to space. No, 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 no. no. But, that's, but, but my point being is like that is not in conflict. Sure, sure. With the reality that I also believe in the expansive universe which our creators laid out for us and and so like i'm i'm tremendously invigorated you remember the i don't know how many people read it the film probably got more seen the matt damon starring film martian. directed by ridley yeah. scott the martian but i can remember i read that book and if you have not read the book please even if you've seen the movie you've got to read the book because mm. andy weir's like prose and all of the science that's in it but yet is somehow just relentlessly entertaining in terms of how he figured it all out. It was incredibly energizing and the prospects and possibilities about what's beyond the stars. Um, I mean, I don't necessarily sit lockstep with this idea, but Bradbury had said, that's how we live forever is we, is we expand our exploration out into the, to the wide sure, frontier. Sure. And of course, loving Star Trek the way that I do and the, the utopian, sort of vision of the future and the possibilities that are out there and the po and the prospects and possibilities of life out there and the prospects and possibilities of just exploratory what we could learn from other planets and things like that. So if the if the question is just like, yeah, would I love to safely This and, is very cool. Yeah, if I would love to safely step foot on Mars, Yes, I would love to safely, safely step foot on Mars, but I, you know, I, I have no illusion that well, that's I, ever going to happen I in my know, lifetime. But, but that's it's a fun, it's a fun I mental know, exercise. Yeah, I would. Yeah, what about you? Ahead. I yeah, if it, I mean, the key word there was safe. I mean, it's not. I don't sure. think it's. I don't think it's safe now. Have you seen that Netflix documentary on the Challenger? No. Oh. Uh, I have not watched it because I remember when that thing, when when that tragedy happened. And so, I was, yeah, I haven't made it yeah. to it yet. It's like a, I don't yeah. know, like a four episode show, uh, Challenger, the final flight and showing how they, we're mm. not quite there with guaranteed safety yet. So mm. I don't, I would, I don't think I would risk my life on going to space, but if they do make it a safe prospect, I, I have as much wonder as, as you sound like you have. And, uh, mm. it'd be nice to, it'd be great to see the earth from space. And, uh, that puts oh so God. much more. I hear that puts so much more realization into your mind on uh, how small we really are and uh, yeah. how precious the earth is. So to get yeah, that first absolutely. Air, firsthand experience would be really amazing. I'm yeah, really I'm proud of my question because this is fun. <laughs> well, what's um, your answer to it? What's your answer? I don't know. I mean, like y'all's vigor uh, has kind of emboldened me. I will join y'all's crew. <laughs> oh, sure. Um, because my my impulse would have been like, ah, I don't know about that. Um, just, you know, I'm a, I don't know. I'm just like my feet on the ground kind of guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I can I can get on board the uh, the wonder train or sure, the, the sure. rocket pack or whatever mechanism we're taking. So I'm going to say one more thing before we pivot yeah. back into the film. So, uh, and, and you know. 2001 a space odyssey you know made by stanley kubrick and the one of the undertones in that film and it's a film that's very you know visual storytelling it's very open for interpretation has been studied endlessly by thought pieces and um but one of the things that 
Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke, who wrote it with him, had said is like, this is probably the first religious science fiction film. And one of the elements of 2001 is that when beings encounter the monolith, the continual recurring monolith, then they encounter the monolith and then they make a huge leap forward in their evolutionary process. And so like in the early stages when like the the Neanderthals and the and the the ape men encountered it, then the scene after that they begin to develop tools. Well then it jumps and where it jumps is to the future and space right. exploration and everything. And so hmm. there's there's always been in science fiction, I think, this underpinning that it's like that's where we're heading. And it's actually been a pretty recent development, I think, recent as in the last like 20 to 30 years, that the dystopian nature of going out into space and finding horror is that there's always been the prospect that we would go out into space and find adventure or that there would be complex complexities to it and stuff like that. But uh, there's always been like a, an eagerness and excitement to it. And, uh, and so I think there's still a large part of that that just sort of carries with me is almost like a, a sort of a, and I know this is a big statement, but almost like a divine pull that says like, yes, this, this universe is here. And when he flung the stars into the heavens, God said all of that was good as well. And I think it's exciting to think about the prospects of exploring that. Oh, well, there you go. God says it's good. That's right. I feel like (laughs) I am getting a new window into the into the lackey and i am totally enjoying it this is enthralling reed do you uh would you be open to to some that ain't right that's well let's let's do it let's Let's do do this so you had told me you had um a new jingle prepped for the segment of of that ain't right so i want you to if you will you know kind of do this new jingle to introduce the bit of (laughs) yeah you were like Remember on the phone, you were like, that ain't right. That ain't right. That ain't right. That ain't right. Remember? And you were like, let's um, do that. <laughs> um, I mean, sure. I mean, Go I'll, get, I'll, get, do it. I'll give it the try. Try it. I just that gave you the right. melody. That ain't right. That, that ain't right. right. That, that ain't, ain't right. right. That ain't right. That ain't right. That sure as hell ain't right. <laughs> 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 all right so that ain't right where we uh talk about the uh the top that ain't right moments from the film we're discussing in this case beckley's what scares us event horizon so each of us have chosen one uh actually each of us have chosen three in case the other picks one of them but i want to start with our guest steve beckley what tops your list steven when you think event horizon and things that would be qualified or or you know kind of labeled that ain't right what 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 tops the heap for you well well reed you mentioned the trivia behind the movie like they had to cut so much stuff mm-hmm. um and there's always a part in the movie that there must have been a lot cut out right out here because uh there were the, the subliminal hellish nightmare torture stuff towards the end of the movie uh, oh. around the time when the uh when uh, uh, Sam Neill's character Weir comes back on the ship, and he's oh, all like cut up, and uh, and then they're next to the uh, the uh, the what they call it, the drive, the the portal in the yeah, engine room, yeah. the gravity and, drive. And yeah. There's the like the little pond of fire next to it, and he's like holding holding uh, Lawrence Fishburne uh, Miller by by the head, and he's, he's yeah. showing him his his nightmares, and then it real flashes flashes mm. of subliminal torture stuff. 
that ain't right. That, and, that ain't. And, uh, that ain't right. I don't know. That ain't right. I'm really, uh, I'm, I'm not proud of it, but sometimes I, uh, I go back and look at that in slow motion. <laughs> well, yeah, the freeze frame. Well, because it's just like it's fascinating because you'd like I do the little pause that and the step right. thing. That well, no, right. I do the little I do the little pause and the step thing because I'm like, what did I just I did that see? Back oh, on VHS back twenty that, years ago. That's right. I'm doing it on the Blu-ray right. now. No, that ain't right. No, it ain't right. But I it's so right. Right. confession time. <laughs> Dude, I'm that's right a, there with you, man. Like, that's not grisly stuff. Than it was streaming, so. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's that's, true. That's grisly. Um, okay, I, I, I'm not going to fight that one. Reed, what would have been your top that isn't that? Okay, so um, I have one that is, that was on my list of possibles, but this mm-hmm. this is my this is my number one. Okay. Man, freaking Dr. Weir shredded his own face with his fingers and gouged out his own eyes Mm -hmm. and then just sits there like a you know just like he's just this casual little oh how are you doing don't mind me yeah don't yeah and and the the way his face looks and this is pre you know so steve had mentioned the vision of him when the ship like brings him back and his whole like you know sort of grid sliced face but this one is the one that's just raw and like the the skin is like shredded and again like when he opens his eyes there which most of the the shot i'm specifically referring to is the shot where his eyes are actually closed but is hmm. you can tell it's like rough hewn with like his own fingers have shredded his face that ain't right man so like that just chair. Yeah. Yes, when he's sitting in the captain's chair. Yeah, and he's talking about where the event horizon went and everything, and I'm like, good lord, that ain't Ain't. right. Right. He's sitting there, it's all dark, and then the outside space lightning goes off and and the, yeah, it just like shrouds him in all this like, yeah. oh, yes, oh, my God. It's no, it's really, really nightmarish. That's one of the few moments in this that have stayed with me regardless of my proximity of, of seeing the film. That image is like indelible in my head of just like that picture of the the makeup on Sam Neill as he's sitting in that captain's chair. It's it's grisly. Do you feel like if you were the captain? Well, I guess this is of the Lewis and Clark, not of the event horizon, but I would be mad if I was the captain of the Lewis and Clark because that chair sucks. That is like, I mean, it does suck. It yeah. does. It's like yeah. you're the captain and you got the slowest chair on the bridge. <laughs> it's just <laughs> like, yeah. wait, wait, wait. Give me, give me a minute. It's like <laughs> Thor and Ragnarok turning in the, in the, in the, you know, cell, the jail cell, just like that. <laughs> I'll be back um, around in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> what a great movie. Um, let's see. So yes, my number one was the hell imagery. Um, I'll say a, a, a kind of tie here. Um, one I, I, I named Justin meet airlock. Uh, but mm-hmm. the other one, so that I was ready for that one to be a strong contender, but, uh, other than the two y'all have named, um, the one that kind of sits right there is when where operates on Lucius Malfoy. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. that's terrible. And you in fact, vivisex him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good yeah. word. You don't, get to, you don't get to use that word often. That reminded That's me of uh, Midsommar. Remember that? Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> the bear with the suit. pins and the thing. Like, oh. The bear suit, yeah. Yeah, that's a good yeah. movie. Um, <laughs> you should watch the director's cut if you're going to watch it, though. Um, <laughs> but, Reed, it's interesting because you talk about... Uh, this is the second time I've seen this film. I saw mm-hmm. it in the theater, as mentioned, and this time. So, it's been a minute. 
And so I'm not speaking authoritatively here, but I, I, I couldn't discern the way the, the operation scene ends, the vivisection scene ends. Um, I thought that the next scene he had sewn his eyes shut, but, Maybe that's well. No, he didn't have any needle and thread. No, well, I mean like. Well, at the no, end I'm, of the vivisection scenes, I know, yeah. I know. But at the oh, end of the vivisection so, scenes, there's an imagery of like what looks like a threaded sort of thing that he's. Maybe you're right. I didn't. I, so I remember the image that you said, but I didn't. I didn't uh, put that together. But I, I think you're probably right that it's actually. But it's so hard to tell. I know. I know. In in the in the way well, his like face Beckley, looks. I just but, pause and go real slow and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. That's right. This is the no. kind of film that makes you want to do that. It's, it's like a train yeah. wreck. You cannot yeah. look away. Like, wait from... a minute. Did that guy so when just... Jason Isaacs uh, saw him, he didn't have his eyes, right? Right. Well, he didn't have his eyes, and his eyes were popped open, so it was just the husks yeah. inside the sockets. And then that's... It's after. And that's the thing is that after that, yes, I think you're right, Nathan. He's He must have sewn his eyes together because his eyes are, are fixed down right. when Miller and the rest of the team see him. Um, and... Uh, and well, uh, one more thing about you, since like yeah. you talk about DJs sort of being opened up, uh, back to the trivial bits, like ev- apparently Jason Isaacs wanted that <laughs> like prosthetic of himself. <laughs> that and ain't the, right. And the, yeah, that ain't right. That's and the what effects his wife team, said, right? She, she's like, don't bring that home. Right. And then the <laughs> effects team was so off put by the fact that he asked for it. They, they lied to him and said like, no, we, we still need it. They had no need for it. But like, they were just so off put by the fact that he wanted that version yeah. of himself that was all like splayed open and everything. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So right. those have been our top three. That ain't right moments from Event Horizon. And that has been another installment of that ain't right. That ain't right. That ain't right. <laughs> that ain't right. <laughs> 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 what a creative jingle. It's so it's it's so hey, inventive. It it works for the moment. It works for the it, bit. It sure does. It sure does. Um so I don't I'm still trying to figure out and maybe this is our yeah, our our gateway drive into into some deeper conversation. Astronaut lackey. I'm still trying to I'm still trying to figure out what it is that's really because there's another subgenre that this intersects with that fascinates me endlessly. I'm going to make a, a statement that may make listeners and Is it bold? fellow fellow. It's it's a little bold, but uh, okay. it's more confessional. Hmm. That might make uh, listeners and and perhaps fellow co-hosts uh, worry a bit for me. But so one of the things that I am actively as an adult trying to kind of understand what it what it does in my heart, mind, spirit, psyche. But there's a subgenre of films in that are not possession films but are actually films that deal with like gateways to hell gateways to sort of a chaos dimension hellraiser does have a you know an element of that i mentioned hellraiser earlier event horizon that's absolute like event horizon presumably it went to as dr weir said and uh, you know a place of pure chaos a place of pure evil and there is something that is not only fascinating to me about that subgenre of horror storytelling, but that dare I say, whenever I step back from it, I feel myself more invigorated. What's so weird about it is I'm about to say this and I'm trying to figure out like, is this how I really feel? And and I think it is like, these are the kind of things that further sort of push me, not out of fear, but out of sort of a, a thoughtful construct, push me into more of my thoughts about my faith, my theological understanding, and about the 
the nature of heaven and hell and the nature of chaos and order and all of those kinds of things colliding together. And so films in the subgenre that typically deal with that, what, what you will most often find, as you do in this film, is, oh, we're intrepid explorers on, on an adventure, and now we've gone to this other gateway, and suddenly they come back muttering in Latin, you know, the Latin phrase, liberate tutte me ex inferis, which is save yourself from hell. And there is something that, I don't know, it's very bolstering to me to see the, maybe the futility, maybe the horror, maybe whatever it is um, of people who become so fascinated and attracted to chaos. These elements, and because Event Horizon is the same thing, it's, it's, it's present in Dr. Weir, where Dr. Weir is drawn to this place of chaos, it starts off just figuring out what happened to my gravity drive. But then it becomes, no, I want to be a part of this thing, where this thing has gone. And well, I guess what my question would be, and then I'll continue sort of unpacking it, my question would be is, what is so attractive to certain people about chaos? And I'm not trying to act it, you know, ask it sort of reductively, but like what is the attractive element of chaos um, and I have a couple of I have a couple of maybe theories, but this is not you know the first time this film is not the only time that explores this idea of somebody becoming addicted to chaos, to where it infects them and becomes like an infestation in their life. And what originally is seen and is seen by any sane human being as horrific and brutal and something not to be even ro- remotely entertained becomes to characters in the piece they they lose themselves. And then they become drawn fully into it. And they just sort of begin to embrace hell. And one of the things for me that I find so so fascinating about it, and one of the reasons why I think it, it kind of solidifies more of what I feel in my own thoughts of faith and in my own relationship with God and Christ, there's there's something in my mind that witnesses people go down these seemingly irreversible paths. Like they just continue to propel themselves down a destructive train of thought in such a way that they turn back and feel like they're the enlightened ones or they're the ones who are really in the know about everything. When they're 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 sort of drawing all of these chaotic things into the world i'm talking about like not only just the nature of addiction like actual drug addiction um, but also like addicted to certain meta narratives be they rooted in complete falsehood or not rooted in certain uh personal conspiracy theories like those people are out to get me you know not even in the political or social structures but just like that you're you're against me and you get sucked in to this mindset, yet trapped in this mindset, and I find it very energizing to remind myself that that is a possible thing to get sucked into, and that only for the grace of God, you know, would I not be possibly prone to get sucked into a similar thing. Um, and I don't know if I'm making any sense, but I'm just I'm, I'm thinking about the ways that Doctor Weir was just sort of so sucked into. You know, Miller said, "We've got to get you home," and he said, "I am home." Like this, this is my home. And again, before I sort of wind it down and shut up and let people respond, I think about the times where people are like, I really know what's going on. 
again, I'm not just talking about social or political broad spectrums, but just like that person at work that you're convinced is out to get you or that person in your family that you're convinced is out to sabotage. Or sometimes it's your own interpersonal, like close, intimate relationships. Why are you constantly undermining me? Why are you constantly like sabotaging me? And they get sort of drawn to embracing that chaotic element and uh, and I think they lose sight of thinking clearly and of and of thinking wholly, um, not wholly H O L Y, but W H O L L Y, and uh, and I don't know. It's it 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 pings a lot of things that I'm still kind of trying to explore in my own mind. But I always walk away from stories like this feeling like yes, okay, there there's a there's an addictive chaos out there, and if if we don't stay sober and don't stay vigilant in our own way, that is something that can get its you know, in this film, literal hooks in you, but you can, you can head down that past where you suddenly like a, you know, like an agent of chaos. Um, am I making any sense or is it just like, no, read, yeah, go yeah. see a therapist. If, if that's an, if that's an analogy you're taking from the film, I mean, the film has the, the character weir. I mean, they show in the very beginning of the movie, not the very beginning, but when they get out of their, uh, their, uh, their sleep and they're having their, their debriefing meeting, um, uh, he's like the smartest person in the room. Everybody else needs him to slow down. He's like, speak English, man. So, right. So he's, right. he's able to get uh, misled or, or have this chaotic thinking, even though he's supposedly the, the smartest guy. So it's, yeah. it's not like anybody is immune to that. Right. And and that's the illusion or that's the 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 conceit would be to think like, well, I'm too smart for that. Mm-hmm. And we see that play out like we see super intelligent people spouting off things that when you hear it from a clear mindset, you're just like, oh my God, that is crazy. But they've embraced it as like this really, like as if they, they're the enlightened ones, you know? Um, anyway, that's that's what I'm scratching at. Yeah, Nathan, it feels like you're something's stirring. No? <laughs> yeah. So you're just like, uh, you're, you're <clears throat> embrace no, you, oblivion. You, you, you've, you've, you know, kind of threw a boulder in the pond. So I'm just trying to I'm trying to wrap my arms around it. Um, Me, um, but it's all there. So, you know, you're you're not uh, uh, misapplying what's in the film. But and it's interesting because is and I'm trying to reframe what you've sort of put out there so that I can sort of in small bites maybe engage it. But effectively, you're kind of saying like, what attracts us to this, or what do we do if we're attracted, or is there even a question? embedded we rephrase if there is sort yeah, of a so, question so what what does attract us to chaos like when we start going down that path what does attract us there what do we but find I, so compelling about but i think okay we'll see that's you know one in the spirit of, of chaos here's a little scarlet witch but um <laughs> um see i wonder i wonder because because what you're asking is kind of like intersecting with some of the thoughts I was having too, though uh, there's a little bit of different verbiage of the same, they're undulating from the same gateway. Um, mm-hmm. Because think about, man, I'm really trying to put this into morsels. I'm going to backtrack to the story of the film or the meta story of the film, meaning there's a two hour plus cut. Because what's interesting is I was kind of pondering, okay, what's happening in this movie for the sake of our conversation? Like, what's going on here? One of the things that I would have critiqued it for before I knew there was a much longer sort of conceived cut is I feel like they fast track Weir's arc. Uh, He he is, I don't feel enough empathy for him at the front to feel sympathy for what he's kind of 
engaging in the end. And the yeah, right. the movie kind of doesn't care if you feel sympathy for him. I, I understand that, but just like I think that would have been a more interesting arc, and they sort of just shunt right through it. And and because if you think of the character of Weir, I think Beckley, you alluded to this when they come out of stasis. He's the expert. He's the one who designed this ship. He's the one who has the insight. He does have the craving to kind of comprehend what has transpired in it. He, you know, it's, it's supposedly gone missing, but he knows that's not really the case. I think it's safe to assume in the text of the film, he's unaware of kind of its travels, you know? Mm, Um, and so we don't know is, is, what what sort of moment in time locks him in to to the to the you know gravity pull of this hellish sort of entity and and journey the point i'm simply trying to make is in the context of the film weir is most poised to comprehend and maybe even ultimately pursue power status control mhm and and so all I'm sort of nuancing of what you're saying, Reed, is the word chaos. Like, I think it manifests in the film as chaos, but how I wrote this, I'll, I'll, I'll shut up with, with sort of speculative jargon and sort of sure. r- share how I wrote this. And maybe we marry these somehow is to me, part of this is cautionary tale of pursuing innovation at all costs. And what I would have been curious is, framing it and maybe this is again retouching on or or brushing up against how you're sort of thinking about this for the three of us as people of faith who in a general sense may have been acculturated to the notion maybe rightly so that unfettered pursuit of gain is unhealthy what and is there a balance between innovation pursuit ambition and being corrupted by that pursuit Mm. what are the checks and balances because in this film, the literal manifestation of the pursuit of power is a chaotic, hellish unleashing. Mm-hmm. But you could tell the same story with different manifestations. You know what I mean? And, right. I, and I guess right. I'm just trying to brush up against or, or invoke to and, and maybe read. Please feel free to rebut if you like Nathan. That's not at all what I was after. But. It feels like this because I think we're all drawn not so much to chaos, though, maybe. But then what does chaos represent? Chaos represents a a dismembering of order, a a an an unfettered engagement with, you know, uh, hedonism sounds sexual. I don't even totally mean it sexual, but just an anything goes sort of mentality Mm. and. I, it's funny because I'm trying, there's a lot, this is a big idea that's thrown out there and the word that's coming to me is, is freedom. But what's interesting is literally just the other day, I had a lot of thoughts pressing in on me of just like people I encounter and, and sort of the political kind of mindsets that I would sort of maybe say, Oh, well, that's not how I like to view the world and so on and so forth. And, and y'all this weird kind of sensation overtook me and it was be free. Mm. And I think there's this weird, all I'm trying to say, all I'm trying to do in setting that out there is it's these opposites. There's pursuit of power and then there's be free. 
because because me in that moment being sort of pressed in mentally by these how I would have in the moment described them, these political thoughts and ideas and oh so and so things this and I don't agree with that and blah 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 and so forth was me trying to wrestle control and and be quote unquote on top like well I'm right mm-hmm. and so you know if 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 they want to talk about such and such well I'm I'm gonna re- be ready with X Y and Z versus hey be free of this like walk walk mm-hmm. free and are these the counterpoints and how do we how do we engage those things part of me feels like i've made a mess of what you're after read but no no i'm well and it's not as if what i had was was terribly clean in and of itself um because it's like, chaotic it's it was it was chaotic chaos is freedom <laughs> <laughs> well that's but that's the thing is that, that that's the thing is like i think i think that that's the the lie that people get really drawn to is that freedom means an abandon of of rules or that an or it means an abandon of sort of structure and and when people talk about like freedom a lot of times they mean like you know do do not restrict me do not uh you know afflict me all of these kinds of things and and in certain contexts yes that is what freedom means but i remember there was that really interesting thing that i think i may have brought up on the show before where they talked about the study they had done with children in children's playground areas where when they had a fence around, say, an acre of playground, children would, with confidence, walk right up to the fence. And they would walk right up to the edge of where they could be. When they had a playground where they removed the fence, the children tended to stay huddled closer in the center and would not venture out because they did not have a boundary. Um, G.K. Chesterton had expressed it uh, differently where he had said, you know, it, on a clear sunny day, you can walk right up to the edge of the cliff. But if it's foggy and shrouded, you are going to stay as far away from the, mm. the drop-offs as possible. And I think what sometimes can happen is we get sucked in, and Weir is being sort of hooked in. I think you're right, Nathan, that it's hard to discern exactly when he pivots in right. the film because from the you know opening moments with what we learn about him with like you know his wife and and everything like that like it, the, it's drawing him it's saying stay here with me you know in the form of his wife saying you know stay here with me forever and i think i think <laughs> that's the yes yeah i think that that is the 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 i'm going to say this and hope that it makes sense that like we get drawn to the illusion of freedom in a version that says, you know, there, there is no structure and there is no, you know, and maybe that's what, maybe that answers my own question. Like, why is chaos so attractive? It's when we think that's what freedom is. So, so if we think that chaos and freedom are synonyms, then we're going to find chaos very, very attractive. Like, no, this is, this is free is because this is just uh, anarchy and, and chaos when in point of fact, the, you know, one of the things that is, is so sort of counterintuitive is that when you are operating within a, a, a healthy and wholesome structure, then that is, that is really profound freedom because then you can, like, for instance, we talked earlier about, like, Nathan just dropped on, like, you know, would you go to space? And I'm like, 
heck yeah, I'd go to space, but if you're going to navigate space, you need to understand the laws of space travel. You uh-huh. need to understand the law, you know, like you need to understand the rules that are in there so that you can, within reasonable structures, defy them or bend them to a degree to where you, and, and, you know, a savvy listener might say, well, Reed, that's all they do in the event horizon is they just bend the laws of space time and just fold time in on itself. But I think what, what happens to us from time to time is that, you know, it's the old adage that curiosity killed the cat. But I think sometimes we get addicted. I, I, maybe I should just leave it there. We get addicted to a freedom that is really chaos posing as freedom. And we get addicted to that. And then that's what we want. I and and it manifests itself in our own lives this way, and that we'll say like, I I don't need anybody telling me what to do. I don't need anybody telling me how to run my life. You know, but I I need to just be free. And then they just go on and and live and in in a sort of a reckless selfishness, with no understanding of their tethers to the community with no other understanding of their tethers to their own family, with no understanding of exactly the again, boundaries or structures that might produce wholesome and goodness, but instead they would just say like, no, 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 this is about me. And and that freedom that, again, can be so attractive is really just introducing tremendous chaos till suddenly it's the, ca- the, the tragic uh, cautionary tale of the prodigal son who's like, give me my inheritance now, let me go, and then he just wastes it. And he just goes and just squanders it all. And so then when he's out there, literally all that's left of him with his freedom is feeding slop to pigs. In the parable, he's like, man, if I could be back in my father's house where there, you know, there, was, there was structure, there was loving care, there was all of this kind of thing. And, and what I'm not saying, I'm not saying is, oh, well, we just need to go back to the good old days. Anybody who hears that is is. Either I'm doing a piss poor job or, or or maybe they're not quite listening. But I'm not saying we just need to go back to the good old days. But I am saying that we should be weary, uh, not weary, leery of the type of freedom that says, okay, you know, ab- abandon structure, abandon uh, boundaries, abandon guidance, because more often than not, that is a chaos posing as freedom. And the ends there, I mean, the scriptures tell us that the road to destruction is broad and part of what I think the scriptures are trying to articulate for us there is that it's like, yeah, if if you just, you know, damn the torpedoes and just, you know, uh, who cares about any of these sort of structure, that's a very, very destructive. It, I mean, in the name, it's destructive. It's the, it's the, the tearing down of structure, and you think that's going to free you when, in point of fact, that may you know, leave you sort of vulnerable to any degree of, of, of chaos and, and, um, and, and sort of decimation in your own life. Is, is, is that, I don't know, y'all, I don't know. <laughs> Event Horizon, man, I'm Just stuck take on the him ship. to space already. Mackley, <laughs> what are some of your thoughts? In- that almost made me think of the, where I mentioned the place I saw Event Horizon originally at the, uh, at the dorm in college. I see so many freshmen come in and, and uh, experience chaos in their freshman year of college, and uh, they need—they don't have enough structure. They have freedom for the first time in their life. And, yeah, yeah, and, and they can kind of crash and burn yeah, yeah. if they're not, you know, like sort of well grounded, mm-hmm. if you will, you know. Um, you need to find whatever whatever exists at, at the university or 
or they mm-hmm. or they sink and find another way of life outside of that or uh, yeah but, but if they experience too much chaos all at once uh that can be destructive uh, so it's another yeah. and now amalgamism amalgamism yeah i like it I, I, um, when i was watching the movie i was wondering well if you watch this should you or do you think that uh that sam neill's character weir is a sympathetic villain in any way i mean at the beginning of the movie, you heard the very first scene with him as he's waking up from a nightmare, and that's mm. even before they get to the event horizon. Well, it's really interesting you ask it that way because it, again, syncs up with what I was articulating about how I view or don't view him. But I, I know y'all caught this, but the late in the film when I think they're trying, they, the not Sam Neill characters are trying to flee finally. And that green sort of, um, big chamber thing bursts and the bloods flowing. I was yes. like, Oh, this is the shining. Well, I yeah. actually saw a note today about them pitching it as the shining in space. Yeah. Right. So right. to your point, Steve, it's like, well, is, um, you know, Jack Torrance, a sympathetic character. I guess it just depends right. on, you know, I think at the front end of the movie with Sam Neill, at least I think we don't know enough about him to really feel sympathy. And then by the time you might, he's already plugged in to this. Yeah. I mean, how many, how many characters, how many crew people are there? Seven or eight of them. And we only get, we only get those haunting, uh, uh, visions or backstory of three of them. Yeah. Really? Lawrence Mm -hmm. Fishburne, Sam Neill, and and, then Peter's Kathleen Quinlan's character. And right. hers is kind of like, have you ever seen the movie uh, Don't Look Now? Yes, I have. It kind of reminds me of that, yeah. where, where she sees mm-hmm. her uh, her child. I don't know if her child is supposed to have died or still be alive. I guess when she talks about him, he's still alive, but apparently he mm-hmm. has a sickness. But yeah, they aren't super part clear of what on haunts that. Her is maybe she's haunted, and we, we don't see enough of it to really know for sure, but maybe she's right. haunted about feeling responsible for, for that or not being there enough. That's similar to what's... Uh, what Weir's feeling like he wasn't there enough for his wife and then she committed suicide. Mm. I'm going to say no. Weir is not a sympathetic character at the front end from Go because of this technical note I made, which is why on earth would you design uh, your your engineering chamber (laughs) with spikes, (laughs) massive spikes throughout it? I'm like, come on. Hell was already working on you, bro, when you designed that thing. Yeah, you remember when the, the character uh, Cooper was yeah. going there to rescue Justin? And he's like, "Well, what the hell is this?" Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he's just floating no, back towards true. the spikes on the walls. No, yeah. it's true. Yeah, I was like, "There's no, no, but come on, you don't yeah. design a torture chamber and call it a, a space engineering deck or whatever." If you that don't. almost makes me think like he he knew it was going to be a gateway to hell to begin with. Right. Yeah. Not you're making my point. Yeah. That's yeah. what it, that's it. I know well, and that's a- y'all are making decent points here from the standpoint of like, I joked about the 90 minute runtime, but I'm curious. I'm interested to see. I don't need more grisly, hellish vi- right. imagery, but in terms of just a, a more methodical kind of fleshed out breathing room for some of these arcs to develop right. a little more strongly that I, I think that would have been more interesting the potential yeah. for a couple more of those characters to have backstory or development yeah absolutely and there's a there's been a lot of i i mean i know we joked about it but i i, I have not actually read the like the screenplay of it or whatever but like 
the that is uh there is i think some pretty well documented like this is what did not make the cut and mm-hmm. and it is there's quite a bit of character stuff i think even some substantiation for why justin like enters the airlock to mm-hmm. begin with there's like mm-hmm. you know and and i can't remember offhand Baby what it was I didn't write it down. but but yeah it's like he doesn't you know th- there were other things that could have sort of rooted and grounded this um there's one more thing that I just want to mention as, as just sort of getting back to the whole like attraction of chaos thing. And it, 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 it harkens back to, I think, our Lake Mungo conversation, Nathan, but uh, just just making an additional observation of like chaos can probably seem really attractive when the world doesn't make sense, because then you think chaos is how it is. Mm. And and if the world doesn't make sense and there's no sort of understanding uh, of of you can't you can't give context to the suffering or to the burden that you carry, then chaos can probably seem really, you know, appealing. And, and, and I don't say this reductively. It's just like, yeah, it could be like, well, no, because the world doesn't make sense. So stop trying to pretend it does and just, you know, move forward into what that is. And, and even with Dr. Weir, you know, we've seen in his backstory to, to Stephen's question that like, yeah, his, I mean, his wife, took her own life and there's a tremendous amount of of tragedy in that uh that that might garner sympathy and uh, and maybe you do you know in something like that you just say like the the world doesn't make sense and i'm gonna stop pretending it does instead i'm gonna plug in to this place of pure chaos it's uh it's one of the reasons why in the dark night heath ledger's joker is so convincing is because some of the things that he talks about about the way things work are are sort of rooted in experiences that we can kind of relate to and make us pause and go like, oh wow. And again, I keep going back to one of the premises of the Exorcist and in 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 the um, sort of tactic of the devil in that movie is to make us despair and see ourselves as animal and ugly and reject the possibility that God could love us, the prospect that God could love us. And I think sometimes when we get spiraled in our thinking, either from trauma or from uh, disillusionment, uh, disappointment, a deferred hope, uh, an ongoing struggle that just will not relent, we can get sort of sort of locked in to thinking like, okay, I'm going to reject the possibility of a loving God who is actively attending to my watch care and of a loving community of his people uh, expressing faithfulness therein. I'm going to reject all of that. And instead, what seems more right and what seems to fit my station right now seems to be more this destructive, chaotic, sort of anarchistic kind of, you know, well, then just blow it up. If I can't get to the top floor, then I'm just going to blow the building up, mm-hmm. and and that that can kind of and I'm not saying that in a in a glib sort of dismissive way. I'm just saying like that can I can see how if you're not sort of surrounded by people who love you and are going to sort of push against those notions and push against those inclinations, uh, bring you home as as Miller is trying to do, then you will not only find that attractive, but might even delude yourself into thinking that that's right. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And if you sort of get lost to that, con- what is we're saying to, to Miller at the end? Do you see, do you see, you know, like he keeps talking to him about like, yeah. you know, this is, this is the way it is. Can't you see it? And I think it's intentional that Miller right before he's like, yes, 
I see and and yeah. destroys the bridge so that Cooper and uh and Stark can can actually get away and Justin I think he's still alive at that point. Um so anyway, these are ju- these are just some of the things I'm not I'm not even convinced I successfully wrangled them all down, but these are some of the things that this film ping for me in this con- conversation and this concept about, you know, chaos and and all those kind of things. Well, it So yeah. <sighs> It feels like inherent to that notion because you know this 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 idea of chaos keeps coming up. It feels like inherent to that notion, and this is just where my kind of heart is going. Is like, is that you aren't saying this, Reed? But inherent to a conversation about chaos or or un uh, unstructuredness, destruction, that it's then the natural opposite is structure rules. Mm. boundaries and and on a certain level there's some great truth to that but at the same time so peek into my sort of psyche and and you know part confession more psychological than emotional perhaps but sometime recently my wife and i were talking and and i was coming to sort of some self-awareness and I'm 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 abandoning a lot of nuance just to get kind of get to the point. And I said, I think I'm kind of worried that I have not engaged things in life. Uh, let me how do, how would I phrase it? So, without knowing the rules of a thing, I will often not venture into that thing. Hmm. And what I was trying to articulate to her is there are times I won't attempt a new skill, set out on a new adventure. Because in my brain, I don't know all the perils, pitfalls, and rules associated with that thing. So instead, right. I just don't. And I worry, in truth, in, in confession, that there have been aspects and parts of life that I've not, in, you know, enjoyed the wrong word, but just, just embarked upon because of some sort of fog or fear attached to the plagues and pitfalls that might come, but might not. And so what I'm trying to position here is I don't know. And you're not saying this read, but in this continuing drumbeat of chaos, I don't know that the answer then is, okay, well, we're rule followers too. And so, because I would say there's a real, I'm, I'm, I'm going to use these labels, but you know, fundamentalism is in effect a, propping up and, and I might mm. say in my more cynical moments, a worshiping of rules and st- mm. structures and, 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 and the boundaries we name the boundaries and name a ton of them and following the boundaries is what constitutes faith. So there's that side of the spectrum. The opposite end of that spectrum is just utter hedonism and, and flagrant, you know, sort of chaos to use that word. But what keeps coming to me is, I think I shared sometime this year about the the roar quote of do things because they are true and not for fear of punishment or promise of reward. And it's mm-hmm. like, there's gotta be, it's to me, it's not worth it. If there's not some middle that says it's not either of these things. Well, you know what I, I mean? I wouldn't, and it's just me yeah, sort of. No, I do. I, I know. Ex- I know exactly what you mean. 
I feel a little bad that after, you know, feeling what I feel, what it feels in my mind has been, you know, me dominating this conversation to, to respond automatically rather than giving like Steve a chance to respond. But I, I this is like, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Kidding. but this is like, but this is like burning in me. So like you just identified it. What I would say is it's not middle ground. It's those, those things that po- posit themselves as like struck, you know, we think that structure equals rules, and maybe in a certain sense that's true, but nobody's offended by the law of gravity. The law of gravity is a rule. Nobody's offended by it, and it does no one any harm. It is a structure by which the world operates, and I think there's a vast difference between that that is something that God has positioned and something that people would then coerce and say, well, this is what God says, and this is how you know, this is the structure that, because you're, you're describing things like rule following and subservience and things like that. And I think in a lot of ways, look at how many religious leaders got offended at Jesus for what? Breaking the rules. Right. And clearly sure. Jesus was not breaking the rules. Instead, Jesus was operating within what I would, but I would say Jesus is not a agent of chaos either, which is sometimes people, you know, kind of presume that a Christ figure is an agent of chaos. I reject that. I say that that Christ was showing and embodying what the real structure was supposed to be and how it was supposed to function and operate. And in that end, that's not something that I would say requires middle ground. I would say it requires following. And that's not, and and yes, by all means, there are people who posit themselves as the voice of God, the face of God, uh, posit themselves as owning or controlling the structure of God, and I'm like, no, that's no, you're not. Uh-uh. But again, I get, but I, but I get back to the gravity thing, and I get back to like, no, it's like the world holds together because there is structure to it, and God looked at that and said that was good. You know, it is the it is the distortion when we try to position ourselves as, and and maybe I'm resisting calling it middle ground. Because I want to, I don't want to compromise with what you're describing. I don't want to compromise with somebody that's just interested in power and control. I want to live in the fullness and wholeness of who God made me to be and recognize that that is structure. And I think, I think middle ground, I think a better phrase for middle ground is just third way. It's, it's, mm. it's not mm. chaos. It's not rule following. I, I don't, yes. Yeah. You know, it's something else. Yeah. Steve, what are some thoughts you're having over there, buddy? Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. In the, in the film, uh, it's, it's about, I think the deeper thing is about mankind, you know, in the, in the space sci-fi, uh, thing they're trying to get across. Um, mankind in the film, literally, but in real life, figuratively, uh, we're too preoccupied trying to figure out if we can quote unquote fold space time or to travel <laughs> astronomically far distances that, uh, we don't stop to realize that maybe it will have consequences. Um, the, yeah. Uh, the character uh, Smith in the movie, uh, the, the pilot, he says, uh, you break all the laws of physics and you seriously think there won't be a price. Mm. Um, all of us in our chosen professions, uh, if they are incorporating many levels of management and systems or decades of standards and practices, parts mass produced by large corporations and then sold to uh small businesses or larger businesses yada 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 we're all cogs in a larger machine uh with our own personal agendas but serving the larger unstoppable juggernaut of human endeavor 
theoretically aimed at utopia, but more likely destined to medium disasters and larger destructions. The character yeah. of uh, Weir is an example of how one person's psychological break or can can suddenly press down on the, the gas pedal of the destructiveness of human endeavor and its clash yeah. with with hell. Yeah. In right. conclusion, and uh, inspired by <laughs> Nathan's conclusion on Robocop, Robocop episode, <laughs> should we defund the police? <laughs> I ask you, should we defund the Space Force? <laughs> oh! <laughs> Are they even funded yet? I don't know. <laughs> uh, who knows, man? Who knows? Oh, well. Yeah, man. That's funny. No. As a random note, there, I was listening to a podcast recently <laughs> where she was interviewing the head of Space Force, like not as a joke. Oh, for and real? yeah, and sweet guy. What's really funny is she. My asking you guys about going to space was partly inspired by that conversation. Yeah. It's funny, oh, that, wow. funny you walked into the speckling. Because yeah. she asked him that. She's like, would you go to space? And he's like, no. I'm like, wow, <laughs> you are. But he's like this this like high-ranking, just long, long-serving bureaucrat military guy. Uh, but he gets real defensive because I don't know if you all know this. The Space Force members are called Guardians. Well, they got, oh, they yes. got made fun of for... Mm-hmm. Uh, cribbing guardians of the galaxy and he he gets real defensive in the podcast he's like no this name's been around since like 1987 for the space force this is a thing anyway it was really funny so should we defund space force that's a wonderful question (laughs) if the goal of space force is to bring back hell ships sure why not uh yeah i'm i'm all for reallocating resource uh to not (laughs) to, to not well you know and here's one thing that i will say okay so and i'm gonna this will be my final contribution to the whole thing. So I, I was recently listening to something. I forget what show it was, but I was recently listening to something where they, they expressed something that I, that I found quite beautiful. And I would posit this as the solution or the answer to all of this. And I would actually pivot it off of, you know, last week, Nathan, you somewhat jokingly, do you defund the police? You know, Steve, now do you defund the space force? And it was This show I was listening to was actively tackling that and saying, like, defund's the wrong word. The word we need is reimagine. And and thinking about, like, reimagining what that is supposed to look like, what its aim is supposed to look like, what its intention is supposed to be, how it is supposed to operate, and reimagining that. And what I love and find so appealing about that is that reimagining it is it by its own word is not well abandoned structure it is acknowledging well maybe this structure is not the only structure that there can be and maybe this structure is not the only way that this thing can you know can be expressed which again you look at the the person of Christ and you know what is the story of of Lazarus of not saying, hey, death does not have to be the end of the story. And Christ himself coming out of the grave. That, you know, that that's the way you've always seen it. We're born, we live, we die, and now I'm going to show you something new. And behold, I make all things new, he said. And so then this notion of reimagining things becomes really invigorating. And that the solution might not be option A, which says, no, the structure exists, kneel before Zod, this is the structure, you know, like, this is what you have to do. Option B might be, no, that structure's not working for me, so abandon structure, abandon all of this other things, and embrace chaos, because that's clearly how the world works. And maybe 
this to 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 unite all these sort of threads of conversation maybe the answer is no reimagine and 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 recapture what has what has perhaps been lost in what prompted in the scriptures god to say let there be in the first place which is that that impulse that spark to create and and which involves you know which involves operating within structure and involves pushing upon that structure to look at something new or to maybe fashion something new from within it you know artists don't uh invent new things by abandoning the structure of music or abandoning the structure of how clay can be sculpted they they produce new things by by understanding the structure and then using that structure to prof- to propel it forward by reimagining something and and that is something that i find tremendously inspiring and appealing and you know it's not the event horizon like oh we're just going to you know but a new vision a new like sort of reimagining things not just oh well, we're going to head back to the old ways or we're going to you know move forward into chaos but but rather reimagine it as something new um and i find that quite lovely and i find that yeah and ultimately to just boldly go where no one has gone before (laughs) (laughs) i can do it this moment is making me so happy the lawrence fishburne character miller who was the one that was well he was the commanding officer and he was, if you pay attention, he was very, very task oriented, and he was very uh-huh. like, "What's what's the next thing we gotta do? Let's move on to that. Let's get this yep. done so we can yep. all go home." And uh, yeah, I, he was kind of like the opposite of uh, of Weir and Chaos. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, nope, that's exactly right. This is a, speaking of this home. is a fascinating movie. <laughs> yeah, no, this is a fascinating <laughs> movie. Let's 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 bring this home. This is a fascinating movie. So, uh, y'all ready for the fog meter? I'll, y'all ready I'll, for this? I'll, I'll bring us into it. Y'all ready for this? <laughs> so, the fog meter is our very specific metric of fear and God, wherein we rate these films on their scares and their substance. So, um, I'm gonna go first, and then I will pivot it over to Steve and round it home with Nathan. So on fear, this is a terrifying movie, y'all. Like it is scary. Seeing it for the first time, perhaps not being prepared for it, it can be very disarming and very alarming. Uh, and I think the fear factor is even high on repeat viewings for some of its graphic extremity. Uh, I'm gonna give this a ten for the fear factor. Wow. Oh, I wasn't. What say you? I wasn't Steve? gonna go that high, and I don't know when they brought it up. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe uh, I give it. I give it an eight. So that's still all right. That's still pretty high. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, I think a lot of these uh, the imagery is pretty harrowing. Uh, it's, it's, it's dark and it's in space and it's, mm-hmm. it's a haunted house in space. That's that's, that's uh, what the filmmakers really uh, were trying to get to: the shining in space and uh, with the the puzzle box from Hellraiser as the engine to the ship. Yeah. So, yeah. That's exactly right. Exactly right. But, uh, What's a Oh, yeah, go. I think with re- repeat viewings, though, maybe that takes a little of the edge off, so I think that's why I just give it an eight. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. What say you, Nathan? Um, I'm going to join our guest at an eight. So I think in most levels, it, it succeeds in spades at being a horror movie. Uh, one of the things that, that, again, maybe I've seen it before, um, I don't think there's a lot of, like, dread building in it. It's just very... Oh, sure. Very... It, it's very direct in what it does and what it does mm-hmm. is try to just kind of like grace you out in places, but 
I mean, it's it's got a good story to it. I just don't find the watching of it scary, just more bleh, if that makes yeah. any sense. <laughs> Vomitous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what would you say for its God factor, its substance? Um, I think there's a world where maybe the extended cut, the longer version might have more stuff there, but I think this cut... It's just leaning straight for the spaceship went to hell and brought back Sam Neill, you know, doc, <laughs> Dr. Alan Grant as the demon, you know, and and so from that standpoint, I'm not sure that it knows exactly what else it wants to do with that. So I'm going to land it, I think, a six on the God Factor. What say you, Steve? I also have a six for the God Factor. It's above it's above the midway point. I think it's it's driving at some some themes there, um, but uh, it, the characters aren't developed enough or, or they're edited off too much. Uh, and uh, I think it could have gotten there further up the scale, but uh, it's it's not quite there. Yeah, no, I uh, I'm I'm only slightly higher than y'all, and I agree with what you said. I, I was going to land at a seven uh, for it, and I think the biggest reason is because I think there's some really fascinating ideas. I will probably always, um, you know, be a bit sad that that there won't be this, you know, sort of ultimate director's vision. And who knows? Maybe they'll, you know, find some footage that they can clean up and and use it. I mean, the possibilities seem to be endless. But um, but yeah, so I'm going to land at a seven uh, because I think its ideas are not fully formed in the version that we get, um, though it does have some interesting things bubbling under its surface. So that puts me at uh, seven, which means that we collectively give Event Horizon, directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, director of the original Mortal Kombat. <laughs> we give it a seven and a half out of ten on the fog meter, which is a perfectly respectable showing. Um, Did you see that he, he turned down directing X Men to direct this? Yeah. Turned down directing X Men and X Files. Yeah. yeah. That, <laughs> and the sequel to Mortal Kombat. Whiff and whiff. Yeah, yes. 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 Absolutely. Um, but a trickier question for me to answer, maybe not so difficult for y'all. Uh, I'll start with you, Steve. Do you recommend Event Horizon? I do. I recommend it to anybody who likes uh, space horror, absolutely, and sure. uh, anyone who likes uh, even haunted house movies because it's haunted house in space. Um, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, definitely a fan of Alien or or uh, Interstellar, or <laughs> and then that's not really horror, but uh, I think it definitely <laughs> had an influence on Steve on the show. Said this yeah. was like Interstellar, no, no. <laughs> sweet sweet mother and father or daughter and uh, father story across time. Well, you know, when when. Uh, when uh, Sam Neill shows that he he folds the magazine page and puts the pen yeah, through it, they use it in that effectively. That's, that's ripped yeah. off in, in Interstellar. Yeah, it sure is. Um, sure but is. yeah, if you like Jason X, I will concur with that. Up. Um, I, I think Absolutely. something about this movie is you might watch it and criticize it and think it's just a ripoff of all this all these other lists of, of sci-fi movies. Uh, but I did you, my first viewing. If you yeah. don't mind that so much and you just think it's more of an homage to all those movies or putting it all together into something new, then maybe you'll love it. So I, awesome. I do recommend awesome. it. Cool. Uh, Nathan, what about you? Um, to horror people, absolutely. I mean, I think it'd sure. be pretty off-putting if you're not, you know, into the, oh, into the genre. So absolutely. from that standpoint, yeah. not in a wide capacity. But yeah, I mean, watching it, it's like, yes, this is kind of... <laughs> very squarely in our wheelhouse yeah absolutely and and to that end uh with the only asterisk but very serious asterisk that if you are squeamish about violence 
that is a problem trying to sit through this movie because this movie is tremendously violent. With that asterisk aside, um, yes, I, I also highly recommend it. And I, I find it very captivating. This definitely won't be the last time I see it. I, I'm drawn to it every so often uh, just for, you know, because I think I'm interested in kind of what it's interested in. Um, so, yeah, that puts our conversation about uh, Event Horizon on the record, uh, Steve, thank you so much. Oh, look at that. He's got it. Uh, thank you so much for uh, recommending this film and for giving us the opportunity to talk about it and for, tip, for participating in this conversation. It's been really, um, really a fun conversation for me. I really uh, have enjoyed myself. Hope you have too. You're very welcome. It's been great. Thank you. Um, thank you for having me. Yeah, as always, as always. Nathan, thank you always as well. Of course. And next week, we are going to be going to a film that we will. We want to go ahead and put it out there that this is a film that at the moment, at the moment, is a little difficult to come by. Um, it is available on like uh, like the Cinemax uh, sort of streaming platform. So like as a, uh, I think there's free also trial. a Cinemax yeah. free trial like Prime sub channel that you can watch it. Uh, there might be a version out there that's on one of the free you know services that's like you know like Tubi or something like that. But I couldn't find one. But what we are going next week. Um, is another What Scares Us submission. And this one is the 1986 classic starring Rudger Hauer and C. Thomas Howell. The Hitcher is going to be happening next week. Now, a couple of things on that. First of all, again, a little hard to find. So, so do a little bit of research. Try to find it for next week. Also, if you just can't locate it, the this is one of those rare moments where like the remake that was made in 2007 is a little bit more accessible and has a similar enough story they're not the same movie but the remake stays sort of close enough to what happened that if you were only able to watch the remake again you you know you wouldn't know specifically what we were talking about but you'd probably get the gist of the conversation um and then also we are going to be going to episodes 5 and 6 of the witcher so next week is the witcher and the hitcher <laughs> get you what you hitching? What you hitching? What you hitching? Oh boy! Oh boy! So yes, uh, we'll see you next week for all of that. As we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you next week, everybody. Thank you, Steve. See you guys. You're welcome. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God, on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork. To Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, everybody!